If you would, grab your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. That's our text today. This is the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus has just described a number of things, uh, the Beatitudes, being the salt and the light. Um, He instructs us on how to give and how to pray. And then in verse 24, yeah, verse 24, Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and it collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, because he was teaching to them like one who had authority, and not like their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus was speaking to them as one with authority, not like their scribes, not like their teachers. Authority is something that we need, um, that we sometimes resent, that we seldom appreciate, but that we need. We need some kind of authority to speak truth to us so that we might have a better understanding And I I always use these two things in comparison to one another, that we would somehow know who God is and who we are and the amazing difference between the two. And in that gap is Revelation, Not, 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 not the last book, but the book. And and God speaks the reality of who he is into our world. Well, no, it's his world. And then you and I have an opportunity to listen and to respond and to worship. And we're celebrating the idea of doing that together. So today what we're going to be considering and reflecting on and hopefully having our attitude, our our minds and our wills, uh, our behaviors, our habits to be reshaped so that you and I, that we might become more like the people of God, fashioned in his image. Why? Because his word is dwelling in us, and it is changing how we think, and how we feel, and how we respond. And, and that's what church is really designed to be. Uh, we, we don't always appreciate it for that, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with our understanding of and response to the Word of God. The Word of God, w- w- whether you necessarily believe it or not, I'm willing to suspend that for a moment, has some rather bold claims to make about itself. The Word of God, Hebrews chapter 4, says this, for the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge, the Bible is, the Word of God is, it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. 
if that is true, then it demands my careful attention. It should be, if that is true, it should be able to delight me and to inspire me. If, if that is true, then it, it seems like it commands my obedience and submission. It continues on. The Word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 3, there's lots of 316s in the Bible, not just John 316, but there's a number of rather famous or rather powerful 316s. Paul, when he is writing to Timothy, a young man who is in a city that kind of like a college town that not everybody is a believer, actually very few are. And Paul sends him there and and gives him some rather strong commands in terms of how to raise up leaders and live a, a pure life. All these commands to Timothy. And he says this, for all scripture, now honestly that's probably focusing on the Old Testament predominantly, but this is one of the last letters, and I think Paul is aware that gospels have been written. All scripture, he says, is inspired by God. That's something that a lot of people call into question. But Paul says it's, it's inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, we're okay with that, rebuking, uh, not so much, correcting, well, other people, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, mature, to grow up in, in what? In the word of God. And all of scripture is capable of doing this to be fully complete and equipped for every good work that God has called us to do. If that is true, I want you to think about this. If that is true, then it, it just seems to expect your careful attention. Like that must, if that is true, it must be able to delight your soul inspire you towards righteousness. Like if, if that is true, does that not just scream for our obedience? doesn't end there. Jesus has had a couple of encounters, and um, sometimes people love to come up and they, do, they like to use flattery. And so this is one of the ways in which they do it. They, they, they see Jesus, they want to say, wow, aren't you amazing? And they do so by giving praise to his mother. We're not from a denomination that does a lot of that. I, I do think we could probably just stop and reflect on just how amazing it is that God chose Mary and said, and through you, I'm bringing the Savior to the world. And she gave birth to him and she nurtured him. Like Christmas wasn't that long ago. Our tree is still up, okay? So Christmas wasn't that long ago. Talk to Andrea about it. Our tree is still up. And as he was saying these things, that's Jesus, a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. And, and Jesus doesn't say, well, thanks, I'll, I'll, I'll see my mom later and I'll let her know. He, he does this actually on two occasions. When, when people want to make much, your, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are here. Jesus says to, in that encounter, who is my mother and, and who is, who are my brothers and my sisters? They are those who do the will of God. And here he says, rather, isn't that interesting? Rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God 
and keep it. Like if you think it is amazing that God chose my mother to send me God in flesh into this world and entrusted her with that incredible gift of Jesus, right? How many of you have just thought, wow, can you imagine if we were Mary and we had to raise Jesus? And Jesus goes, hey, I, yeah, I, know, I know blessed, yes, but blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Hmm. If that's true, then doesn't that just demand that when you read the word of God that you pay attention to it and, and that you would want to, to hear the word of God and to keep it? Like, shouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you value and appreciate? Wouldn't you respond by trust and obeying it? Last one. There's another 316. I like this one because, you know, this series, we're, we're really wanting to look at everything that we do on Sunday, and we do lots of things on Sunday. And, and I love how this literally lifts up the Word of God, but it's not just in sermon form. It's in so many different ways that the Word of God would dwell in us. Paul says to the church in Colossae, by the way, a church he, he had never been to. This isn't a church he planted. It's, it's just a church that he prayed over and cared for. That the Word of Christ... Dwell richly among you. Like, I, I know you can quote every Friends episode, and you know the office really well. I, you think you could win trivia night at Mexico Joe's? Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. Teaching, you know, it's an instruction type word. To admonish literally means to warn now so that punishment would not need to come later. It's got, it's, got, it's got some edge to it. For teaching and to admonish one another, so this is a one another type thing, through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. What he is describing there is an entire life together in which God dwells so naturally and normally in me and in you, in us. That we are responding to one another. We are teaching one another. We are admonishing one another on a consistent basis. That our fellowship bleeds and just um, demonstrates an, an awareness of and a knowledge of the Word of God. And that should happen every given Sunday so that you and I can then practice it every other given day so that we can come together <laughs> and we can learn about God through his word together and singing these songs and teaching and admonishing one another why so that it just continues to grow and reverberate in us so that we would that we would know him and become like him and that's what the Word of God does. And, and I guess one of the questions that we just have to ask, I've been asking this all week long, like, is that true of me? Um, I'm a real fellowship guy. <laughs> I am. I just, I love hanging out with people. As I get older, it gets a little more complicated, but I love hanging out with people. 
Um, I, I don't mind being one of the last ones here, and it's not because I feel like I need to turn off the lights, but Paul Weiss and I are usually, <laughs> you know, we just, I love kind of lingering around and hanging around and how you doing, how you doing, how you doing. I mean, I just love that. So fellowship comes naturally to me. And, and does the Word of God? And if I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, the Word of God came very real to my father. My, my dad came to Christ through someone just sharing the gospel with, from a Bible. It wasn't a really cool church community that helped my dad with his growing new young family. It was a person opening up the Word of God and teaching my dad the truth about God and the truth about my father's own sinfulness and my dad responded in faith. And so my dad loved the word of God. And I remember him reading the word of God all the time. Just reading the word of God and reading the word of God. And when we were in trouble. And uh, my brother got in trouble one time. And uh, uh, dad, dad's ultimate way of dealing with us was go to your room. That's, he was a go to your room guy. Okay, Go to your room. And my brother responded one time. Well, what am I supposed to do when I get there? And this was dad's all response for everything. Read your Bible. <laughs> like what else would you do in your room? Read your Bible. And, and my, my dad would just, that was his answer. Um, I'm bored. Well, okay, well, I have good news. There's a Bible. And I would just, I'm not that bored. Ugh. My brother one time got sent to his room. Dad told him to read the Bible. My brother quipped back, well, what should I read? My dad was always a big fan of the book of Proverbs. Read Proverbs, that'll help you. Now, going back, I would probably recommend, you know, like either Revelation to freak them out or a gospel to give them the, the truth about Jesus. But my dad's was Proverbs. My brother was probably about nine years old at the time. Proverbs, where? To start in chapter one, and he was in there for a while. I don't know if you guys know the book of Proverbs. It has a lot to do with don't hang out with adulterous women. And um, my, my brother, after being left in there for a long time, came out. And can I come out? My dad said, well, what'd you learn? And my brother said, not to have anything to do with an adulterous woman. And my dad thought, okay, you're nine, but that'll probably help you down the road. So yeah, come on out. <laughs> like, how much do you, like, trust and rely on the Word of God? To me, it, it's, been, it's been a journey for me. I've always known that I was supposed to. But it, it's not always the first place that I go. I mean, even as an adult, well, I'm not that bored. Right? And, and not only that, but it, it just gets more complicated as we get older, doesn't it? Like it does, it just gets more complicated. Re recently, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news, but recently there was a very interesting comment that was made by a very famous football player, Aaron Rodgers. And just this past week, he made this comment. Um, grew up in a, in a, seems like a very God-honoring Christian described his family as a fundamentalist-type family, and he and his family are rather estranged because of some choices that he is making now and some convictions that he's made, but he recently, in a, in a, a podcast with his girlfriend, he had this comment just describing his life and some, some new conclusions that he's making about God and the Bible, and so he shared this. He basically said, you know, I, I get it. When I was younger, I used to believe all those things about the Bible, but now... I just cannot, he said this, I just cannot believe in a God that would permit, allow, I forget the exact word, but most of the planet to just end up in a fiery hell. I just, I can't believe in a God like that. I'm sorry, I just can't. He's not alone with that. Like not that long ago, um, a, a rather well-known 
uh, pastor who had written a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, Joshua Harris, um, decided that I don't, I, don't know if I, can, I don't know if I can believe this anymore. It's got a lot in there. And I really don't know if, if, I, can, um, if I can bear the weight of everything. There are, there are attitudes, there are beliefs that just don't seem to fit into our culture. There are things that are being written in this that don't fit into the way that I would do it if I was running this place. Like, I just, I, I used to believe it when I was young. Like, I get it. And you're building a children's building. So I totally get that the little ones are going to love it. And I promise we'll sing really, really cool songs about dare to be a Daniel and how to slay your giants. But in the end, right, they're going to grow up and they're going to go to university and they're just going to get that it's more complicated than that. And they'll learn how to take this Bible and to fit it into the rest of their lives. See, that's the problem with fundamentalists or evangelicals or Bible thumpers is they don't understand the proper place for the Bible. I'm not against it, they would say. It just needs to find its proper place. And I hear that statement a lot, don't you? I just cannot believe. I just can't. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I'm a thinking person, they like to say. Um, I've, I've, I've grown up. I've matured. Uh, I just, I ask really big questions. It, it's interesting that, um, that that statement, I just cannot believe, I, I don't know if it went through their heads, but it kind of fits. You know, something like that actually predates this book. Adam and Eve are in the garden and the deceiving, lying, accusatory serpent says to them, did he really say did you notice where it comes from? Did, did God really say? And I, I again, I, I don't know exactly what they were thinking, but I can imagine going, did he really say? You know, I just have a hard time believing. Don't you? I have a hard time believing that God is going to kick us out of this garden. I don't know if this is how the conversation went. I just have a hard time believing God's going to kick us out of this garden for just eating that fruit. What did he say? Of the garden, you can eat all the trees, of the, of the trees, but of this one. And for surely, when you eat of this, you will die. I just cannot believe in a God that would do that. Okay, don't. Truly. And I, I'm not saying that, like, I get it. Like, I even, and the amazing part of it, like, that God even gives us the room to question and to wonder I just can't believe a God would and Adam and Eve. And, and then, interestingly enough, the rest of humanity, I believe this actually, the rest of humanity lives in the wake of their disbelief. Did God really say, and they got together and they... Uh, they checked their Twitter feed, <laughs> and there was only two people on it, and they were following each other, so it was really, really easy. And they just, they, they literally, they just, they thought about it, and they couldn't, I just can't imagine God, I can't, I can't imagine him as kicking out, kicking us out, and I can't imagine us dying. Right? 
like the children of Israel. Like God gave us this land. I can't imagine that God cares that much about what hill we bow down to. I mean, he's the creator of the universe. Do you think he really cares what we do with our sexual lives? Like, do you think he really cares? And they, they, come on, snake eyes. They just couldn't imagine. Like, we, we live in the wake of many, many, many generations hearing the word of God and going, but I just can't believe that. And hear me, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to take a shot at all because I get that. Like, in, in reality, like, I wrestle with things. Don't you? Do, do, you ever, do you ever just look at this book and go, but I just can't believe that. Okay, but there's this one part, and I really have a hard time understanding that. And, you know, there's this one other section that I just, I don't know how all of these things fit. And yet the Bible still comes to us. Just, like, relentlessly. It just continually, like, presents itself to us. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of God to us. And, and we're not the first ones to, to, to have it. We're not the first ones to wonder about it. We're not the first ones, should that be us, to reject it. We're not the first ones to take it and to, 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 to twist it around so that it somehow fits. We're not the first ones to, to read it and go, oh, I like that part, but I really don't like that part. I really, really love this part, but I don't understand this part or this part. Yeah. That is a, in fact, human response. But every given Sunday, for over 2,000 years, the church has come together, and they haven't always done it perfectly, but the church came together and said, but this is our book. And, and we are going to devote ourselves to this. They didn't always get it right. And, and we, are going to, we are going to try to understand this word, and they didn't always get it right. And we are going to submit ourselves to this word, and they didn't always get it right. But this is our word. And this is our book. And in light of that, just three small things that I want to encourage us to do. And to consider doing together every given Sunday. And they're simple. The first one is this. Is that we would then commit ourselves to just recognizing that if this word is true, then we should know this word. Like know it. Like that we would understand how it works. That it comes in two testaments. That we'd be able to understand like how those two testaments come to us. And that how we could look at those first four books of the New Testament known as the Gospels and recognize that in the coming of Jesus, something very unique and very amazing happened. That then we could understand that from that event, that Jesus Christ's coming, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, that that is just different than everything else in the book. And that's what Jesus teaches, and that we would know that then Jesus turns around to his followers and says, and listen, I want you to know that those other 39 books that you don't pay a lot of attention to, like all of those point to me. 
And therefore, they're worth knowing and they're worth studying. Even the parts that you can't understand or even the ones that you struggle to apply, it's worth submitting your life to. It's worth committing those things to memory, not just Psalm 23 so that you'll have something in your head at the next funeral that you go to, but that you might somehow enter into this community of faith standing around Mount Sinai as God demonstrates himself as powerful and the children of Israel swear obedience to him. That you could enter into with the community of faith decided to reject God because they thought, man, there's no way God would ever, great lesson for us, there's no way God would ever do anything bad because we just built a really cool building for you, God. No, I don't know if you were at the, 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 the ceremony, but Blaine, one of our elders, read this. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who, la- those who labor, labor in vain. And I'm hearing, we got a great construction team that's going to be building it. But I mean, even if they build it and we do not honor it or dedicate it to God and we do not preach the word of God and teach the word of God, then it's just a foolish place where fools come. It was a recent study that came out, and, and I'm always leery of these kinds of things because I want to be careful not to, to give you, hey, by the way, you know, if you read the Word of God, here's a benefit. I, I mean, but I'm all for the Word of God providing benefits. But a recent study came out, and, and they were looking at knowing the Word of God, or spending time, particularly spending time in the Word of God, and they began to notice. I want to think which one's you. For people who are in the Word of God once a week, so maybe you come here and you open up your Bible or you look on the screen. But then later on, like every other given day, like you open it again. So you're in the Bible twice a week, once on Sunday morning and then one other time. Not, not a lot of a difference in your lives, by the way. You, you live your lives pretty much kind of the same as everybody else if you're in the Word, just kind of once or twice a week. Three times a week, not much change actually. And I, I don't know why I didn't do the study. For some reason, those who are in the Word four times a week there is a remarkable difference in the life that is lived. I'm not going to write a book on the magic of the number four. But I am going to say from that, it seems like there are those who are Christians who give a casual glance to the Word of God, who give a cursory reading to the Word of God, and then there are those who engage it for the desire to know Him. And the change is remarkable. For those who are in the Word of God four times a week, they are 228% more likely to share their faith. They are 407 times more likely to memorize Scripture. They are 59% less likely to be trapped in the sin of pornography. They are 30% less likely to look at their lives and feel lonely. Um, The number four is not a magic bullet. But God's word is God's word. And it does transform. It does shape our thoughts and our attitudes and our behaviors and our feelings. And as the people of God, we are committed to know the word of God. And to have it dwell in us. The second thing is that we should value. Value the word of God. 
that we would appreciate the word of God, that we would, oh man, I'm really going through a struggle right now. And, and, and by the way, I get it. Do you have a verse for me? No, but I have, I have the weight of, and this is why we love to talk about, we're about to get them up again on the wall, but we call it the meta-narrative, the, the grand sweeping themes of the scriptures, that God created the world and that the world rebelled against God and that God has restored the world through Jesus Christ or redeemed the world through Jesus Christ and is now restoring it through the indwelling of the spirit in this new kingdom and then one day, one day we'll be with him forever. And honestly, if, if you're looking for a verse to make your loneliness go away or your lust disappear, um, I'll just remind you of this. We do not believe in magic, but we believe in God and the power of his word and the transformation of his word in our lives as we devote ourselves to understand it and the way of him. And, and, and by the way, there, there's a difference between kind of valuing the word of God and, and genuinely delighting in the word of God. And I'm talking more about the second one. I, I meet people that do this all the time. You know, here's the thing. Is I'm just, oh, so wish God would talk to me. I so wish he would speak to me. You know, like, but just nothing. Like, I just can't really get him to ever speak to me. You know, like I just wouldn't, how many of you would love to just hear a word from the Lord? I just, I wish he would kind of say something to me, but there's just nothing. Seriously? <laughs> like, what do you want? Well, you know, there's this girl I'm dating, and I'm just trying to figure out. Huh. Well, you know, it's so hard because I don't know what I want to do with my life after I graduate from college, so I just want God to speak to me. Like, who am I supposed to marry? Is it Andrea or not? It, it's so interesting to me, and I, I hear it all the time, people saying to me, I just want God to speak. But what does that say? What is that describing? What is that insinuating? At some level, hear me. At some level, I get it. Like, I've done it. Like, I, I so want God to speak to me. I so, like, God, do you want me to move to Stillwater or stay in Joplin? God, what do you want? 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 And I'll be honest with you, he never spoke to me. And in that not speaking to me, he led me here. Because he had been speaking to me my entire life. Do you understand the difference? And, and so I, I think there is, and part of it's normal, and I just want something, by the way, is this you? I just want something that seems more real. I get it. I really, really do. But do you believe that there is nothing more real than this? Now, now do you see why Jesus says, blessed is the one who nursed you, and blessed is the one who gave birth to you, and blessed, no, blessed is the one who hears the word and keeps it. Thomas. Now that I have seen, and now that I have touched, I now know. And what does Jesus say? And blessed is the one who never experiences what you just experienced, Thomas, and yet believes. See, the, the kind of value that I'm describing here is one that looks at the word of God and believes that it can direct one's life and sustain one's life and lead one's life. 
See, I, I get why you're questioning it because in reality, I, I don't know if I trust anything more, just like Aaron Rodgers, I don't know if I trust anyone more than me. And I don't know if I trust anything more than my feelings. And I don't know if I know anything that is more real. <laughs> and the Bible comes to us and says, if you choose to believe it, this is more real. What did Hebrews say? Like it, it judges the intentions of the heart. It cuts through. It cuts. How many of you have the word of God and then you've got all these voices in your mind and in your brain and all of these lessons and instructions that you've learned in college and, 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 and in, in your little world, in my little world, and we've got it, and, and this word of God, and how many of you, all of these thoughts and emotions are just casting doubt or disillusionment upon this word? You know the number of people that have said to me, yeah, I know what it says, but... If only it were just Aaron Rodgers. And it's interesting, too. I just cannot believe in a God who, and then you can fill in the blank, okay? And I want to say to those people that wrestle with, like, that God would, 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 that hell could exist or whatever, and I just want to say to them, really? Like, if you value the word of God, like, you can't believe, like, have you read Genesis 6 in terms of God's, not that he would just send people to hell, but that he expects that there is a judgment that comes like, have you not read Genesis 6? Have you not read Genesis 22? Have you not read Exodus 5? Have you not read, I mean, do you realize? I can't believe a God who, and, and what, no matter what you pick, I literally want to say when people say that, by the way, I've asked that question, but have you ever considered Judges 9? Have you ever considered what's going on in 1 Chronicles 4? Have you ever heard what Jesus actually said over and over and over again? If we value not our little tiny verses, that's the danger of having little tiny verses, is that we got a great big book. And for every I cannot believe a God who, if it's, if it's right, there is a book that says, well, then let me share with you the truth about God. I would also say this, that if we were to just value the word of God more, I believe this, we would be able to avoid a lot of the cultural sins that the church is guilty of. I, I just don't, I, I really don't. Now, I get it. You're going to go, yeah, but think of all the things that the church has done. Sure, but I, I cannot find it. I try to read a lot of history. I haven't read all of it. But it's not like they were, yeah, you know, we were in Ephesians 5 where Paul was writing that a husband should love his wife and treat her like Christ loved the church. And so we decided to go beat up our wives today and treat them like property. Like you didn't do that actually. And, and you didn't like read like the Bible about God's plan of, of freeing slaves and go, hey, you know what we should do? There's this tribe down the street. We should go in there and like grab them and chain them and sell them for a profit. They didn't no. Now I know that people go to the Bible to try to prove the things that they've already decided. We're guilty of that sometimes. But I genuinely believe that by valuing the word of God and by wrestling with the word of God together in Christian community, actually you end up with more William Wilberforces who was a force to be reckoned with in the abolition of slavery in England than you do slave trade. That you end up with more 
husbands and wives that know how to love one another as Christ has loved us and we love him, then you end up with destructive marriages and the value of human life. Like I really believe that if we were to spend time in the word of God, it would correct us of a a lot, if not all, of our social sins to value the word of God. That is why Psalm chapter 1 gives us such a great picture of this. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. He meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners. This is what Jesus says, by the way. Or sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. The person who understands that then values the word of God so that they might be like that tree. All the way until the day of judgment to value God's word. And then lastly, we know the word of God, we value the word of God, and then we trust, obey the word of God. Like it demands a response. It demands engagement. It it demands that we respond with obedience. I, I think there is a tendency in us to somehow disassociate this word from the God who exists to our peril, that we, we very seldom look at this Bible, those of us that are, that are, that are wrestling with this, we, we very seldom, like I, I bet you if I were to say Aaron Rodgers, so you want nothing to do with God? I think he would say something like this, no, I just, it's his Bible or the Bible that I have a problem with, like I'm fine with a certain idea of God, I, it's just his word, and, and, and by the way, he's not the only one that does that, I think we do that, like unless we are committing ourselves together in community, to coming and hearing whatever's going to be preached this given Sunday, for it to guide and to lead and to direct, for it to confront and admonish, for it to correct. In the end, all we're doing is picking and choosing the verses that we want that support a decision or an agenda that we already have. And we just don't believe that us not paying attention to certain words that's, it's, it's not God that I have a problem with. It's the Bible. Hmm. Two very interesting verses, one from the old and one from the new. 2 Samuel chapter 12, David, King David, the one after God's own heart, decided not the wife that he had, but the wife that somebody else had, he wanted. And so he took her. And then after she got pregnant... And he didn't want his reputation to be exposed. He murdered her husband. And then took her as his own. And when Nathan the prophet goes to David, he doesn't say, hey, by the way, you just have this one tiny problem. What's interesting is is that Nathan recognizes that it's David's lack of respect for the law and God. This is a great verse of scripture. If you think somehow you can do what you want 
and, and God would be okay with it. Listen to this. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Listen to how God and his word are so intrinsically tied together. Most Christian people that are about to make destructive choices want to separate that. They want God, but they don't want to be held accountable to his word. They want what God's going to offer or some generic version of God. I just have a hard time believing this aspect about him found in his word. Nathan says, "Why have you speaking for the Lord, why have you despised the Lord's command by doing what, what I consider evil? So God is speaking there. You struck down Uriah the Hethite with a sword, and you took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. Now, therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you despised me. That's God speaking. And took the wife of Uriah the Hethite to be your own wife. You despised me by despising my command. Christian, you need to hear that today. You despise God. If you despise his word, do not value his word. Do not trust, obey his word. You despise him. Maybe that's where Jesus gets this idea from, you know, him being God and all. Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 14, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, and and most people want to say they love Jesus. Well, he says, well, we'll find out. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Not value it um, alongside what the college professor taught him. Um, not uh, consider it uh, in light of how they're feeling today. No, no, no. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the father. Who sent me? That's what Jesus says about this word, his words, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And whoever decides to trust him in that will be like someone who builds their house on a rock. And then no matter what happens, you will stand strong, no matter what it feels like, no matter what it senses like, no matter what others might say. Do you believe that? And should you choose to follow something else for whatever reason? I just can't believe a God like that. I just can't believe a God who I'd rather follow my own heart. I'd rather follow my own way. I'd rather follow. I'm not saying as an American you can't. I just don't understand how as a Christian you would. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, whether we get it or not. Whether we understand it or not or appreciate it or not, God, I thank you for how your word has come to us and speaks powerful truth to us. And God, may we align ourselves with it. God, forgive us for being lured by other things and just the pride that um, Adam and Eve had, I see it in me. Just wondering if you would. And then many times your word is already spoken and is clear. So God, speak to us. And Father, may we do a lot of repenting and aligning ourselves with your eternal word. It is in the powerful and wonderful name of Jesus.
We say these things because we know they are true, because you have given them to us in your word. Amen.